Welcome to the Meta Business Podcast. The Metaverse and Web3 are bringing about the biggest revolution since the internet itself. With your hosts, Paul the Prophet Dawalibi and Jeff the Juice Cohen, we will be bringing you the latest Metaverse business news and insight into what it all means. The Meta Business Podcast starts now. From the boardroom to the Metaverse, this is the Meta Business Podcast. I am Paul Dawalibi. I'm joined today by my friend and co-host, Jeff the Juice Cohen. For those of you who are new here, welcome. What we do is we cover all the most pressing metaverse topics and news of the week, but we look at all of it through a business and C-suite lens. We dissect, we analyze the business implications of everything happening in this very exciting industry. For those of you who are regular listeners, thank you guys for tuning in every week. This is episode 10. If you've listened to every episode, thank you so much for that. Would love all your feedback. Would love a uh, rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get this podcast. And at the very least, hit that subscribe or follow button uh, and hopefully tell your friends and family about the podcast if you are enjoying it. Jeff, how you doing this week? Doing good. Episode 10. I can't believe we, we made it to double digits. Uh, it's a big <laughs> milestone. I guess now the next believe. one's triple digits. Well, I can believe it, but you know, it's still pretty cool. 10 episodes in. Uh, it's been a good week. I mean, I'm a little disappointed we didn't have the largest transaction in gaming history this week. That seemed to be, you know, the <laughs> couple weeks in a row we we did. I was hoping that we got some, you know, Nintendo bought by uh, Apple or something or Disney for a hundred billion. Uh, <laughs> seemed like that would have been apropos, but I guess not this week. We still we do have time still in the month. We record this. It's it's Wednesday the 26th, so there is. A few days left in the month for that to happen, but didn't happen yet this week. So we'll just have to talk about other news. But there is a lot of good stuff going on. There's a lot of good stuff. I will say there's also 48 weeks left in the year for bigger news to happen. I don't know. I don't know if we'll see a bigger transaction than that. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, the metaverse is a hot space. No reason why uh, why we couldn't. I, I will say, you know, w- w- of course we cover all the t- sort of the big stories coming out of the business side of the metaverse. Uh, But I thought we have to start with something totally silly, totally left field, maybe two silly stories, actually. And I don't know if you saw this this week. I won't even call this a story. I'm going to put it on screen, but I won't even call it a story. If you're listening, I'm going to read the headline. It says, Elon Musk nudges McDonald's to accept Dogecoin. He says, if they do, he will eat a Happy Meal on TV. (laughs) (laughs) Is this... You know, I don't know if it's a metaverse story. It's a little bit of a crypto story more than anything. But is there a world here where this is now Elon Musk, um, you know, uh, enriching himself (laughs) through his tweets very directly here? I I, I think he's a kind of he just likes, you know, trolling people and kind of getting off on, on kind of seeing what happens when he puts something out there into the universe. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's it's utterly ridiculous. Having said that, McDonald's probably should, you know, spin something up and maybe, you know, use it for the publicity, although they probably got 90% of the buzz they would get uh, from from him actually doing it by you know, him just saying he would. Not that McDonald's needs much more branding. I mean, everyone knows what a McDonald's okay. is. But uh, you're yeah, CEO I mean, of McDonald's. Good. Do you accept Dogecoin tomorrow to get Elon to eat a happy meal on TV? No, I don't think so. Because I think it, it would be actually pretty difficult probably to go about accepting Dogecoin. I mean, unless 
and maybe I'm not familiar. Maybe there's like Square or Pay, you know something like that actually already allows you to accept Dogecoin, and it's really easy um, if they you know do the fiat to Dogecoin can, can, um, currency switch. In that case, I would do it. Otherwise, yeah, no, I'm not going to spend development resources <laughs> and millions of dollars because you already got what, what you needed in terms of the little brand buzz. You know, that was in the New York Post. I'm sure it's probably blowing up Twitter. So I don't think if you're the CEO of McDonald's, it makes sense to waste money accepting dog money. <laughs> I mean, it's a silly story, but, but I thought there was an important kind of underlying message here and you hit it. Like I, I couldn't have. I couldn't have planned this better. We didn't even discuss this one in advance. Um, the wallet situation with crypto, and and I'll I'll expand this to sort of the metaverse. Paying for anything in the metaverse with crypto is a problem if you can't make wallets simple simple enough for absolutely everyone, right? And so there's sort of this interesting point, which is if McDonald's can't accept Dogecoin because wallets are not pervasive enough and simple enough for literally anyone to go in and use and buy, you know, a, a happy meal with Dogecoin, then I don't know if we're fully ready yet, right? Like there's still a hurdle then to get to that universe where we have hundreds of millions of people all sort of living, working in a metaverse. Is that, is that not fair to say? I think it is fair. I mean, the, the crypto wallet space is a massive one and definitely needs a ton of innovation in terms of user experience and usability. Part of that is somewhat by design. I mean, crypto is meant to be decentralized. Part of it, it is a hard problem to fix because it is supposed to be a hard problem. Like you, you, <laughs> you sort of want that. If you're, you know, a crypto maximalist, you want that decentralization. If if it ends up being where your Coinbase wallet is effectively the same thing as having a credit card or having, you know, a debit card. You, you kind of lost the the <laughs> the essence of crypto in, in in some sense, but I do think that probably is where this heads because for ninety five percent of people who aren't hardcore crypto enthusiasts, they they kind of don't care about the decentralization aspect. They they care about things working. Um, so I do think you'll see sort of a centralized, decentralized wallet and or blockchain. Um, you know, and I think that's diverting a little bit from what we were talking about and kind of. The, you know the the what you asked, but I, I definitely do agree with that. The bigger question for this is why would anyone want to pay in Dogecoin unless you're you know one of like the two percent of people on Earth that happen to have like a billion dollars in Dogecoin. And when I say two percent, I mean literally actually two people. I, I misspoke. So probably like only Elon Musk, basically. Um, it is a good question, right? The, other than other than the philosophical exercise here, but there's probably not met much good business reason for McDonald's to accept it. Uh, I don't think it's going to increase their customer base in any significant way. Um, let's talk about a company though, Jeff, that has been increasing their customer base in a significant way. And I think this is, you know, you know how bullish I am on 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 this this one. Uh, you know, we even have on our sister podcast on the business of esports, we have a little bit of a side bet, you know, going on the growth of this company. <laughs> Yeah, I thought you were going to go. I thought we were going to the blockbuster story. That was a, that was a great lead in. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. We'll get to that one. Uh, we'll get to that. Um, but this is Roblox in the news, and the headline here was Roblox's year-end data reveals its metaverse advantage. And but before we get into the contents of this article, I want to just give you one first thought, which is this headline sort of implies what I've been saying for almost at least a year now. Forbes had sort of a similar article, which is 
Roblox seems to have the edge in terms of metaverse, you know, where Fortnite was kind of leading that conversation for a long time. Roblox seems to have leapfrogged. Um, but they give some numbers in this article, which I think are interesting, which we can also discuss. Um, during 2021, the Roblox community grew from 32.6 million daily actives in 2020 uh, to nearly 50 million as of November across 180 countries. So, you know, not a hundred percent growth, but pretty close, you know, pretty substantial growth. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, what is that? 60%, something like that. Um, and, uh, a lot of new developers, obviously on the platform, Roblox said 26,953 user created experiences reached more than a hundred thousand or more visits from players and over a hundred thousand experiences reached 10,000 or more visits, which is again, Huge numbers, right? That a hundred thousand different mini games experiences, whatever you want to call them, got over ten thousand visits. Actually, the, the next line, yeah, this is the most interesting one to me. The median user on Roblox visited forty unique experiences over the course of twenty twenty one. You know, there's more data in here. I don't know if you want to stop there, and I don't know if you had yeah, any let's, thoughts. Let's talk about that because there's other interesting data. But let's touch on that. I mean, the forty. Sorry, if you could just keep pulling up. Nobody wants to look at our faces anyway. Uh, the, 40, <laughs> the 40 unique experience is interesting because it shows like just the breadth of how much people are, different experiences people are playing on Roblox. And to me, I think that's pretty cool that, you know, if you think about the typical app store user, like someone who downloads a mobile game, I would be willing to bet that the average mobile game user probably plays less than five games. Now, someone can correct me if I'm wrong. I, Sort of that's my intuition. I don't have any data on that, but I think the there is a much much more concentrated number of games that people play, certainly on console, and I think probably largely on um, on mobile as well. Like the average console gamer, I would be surprised if they played more than five or ten games. So the fact that the average Roblox user is in forty unique experiences to me says something about the platform, um, and also leads me to to kind of. Like that, I think for for the eventual metaverse, that is an important requisite that there are various different experiences that you're going in and out of. Like I actually think that's pretty important that it's not just one thing that people are are, are going into. So yeah. I'll stop. That was sort of my my first thoughts. I mean, I'm curious. Do you agree with that, or did you think one of the other numbers there was more interesting? You know, I I think it, you took it to an interesting place, Jeff. Like. You're right that the, it feels like there's a prerequisite that event, like whatever eventual metaverse is built, whether it's, you know, the the metaverse or one of the metaverses, like a variety of experience feels like something that would win the day. I would be curious to see data like around, like to, to your point around mobile applications, right? How much variety do people on average do? I agree with you that this feels like a large number, right? That's literally trying something new almost every week, basically, right? Take out whatever weeks people, uh, you know, are, are on vacation with their family or whatever. But, you know, it feels like a lot of variety. And I'm curious, you know, I, I'm trying to think of what is the cause here? Is it something inherently that Roblox is doing right? Is it, is it the nature of the platform? Is it the nature of the kinds of people on the platform? Like, like are, is, is the, I mean, I guess if it, you want to be, if I want to be like a negative cynic, I could say that, you could always twist data. I mean, that could mean that a lot of there's a lot of crappy experiences right, on Roblox right. that people go into that. Also, I think it's interesting that it's the median user. It's not the, you know, it's not the average. So, you know, 
playing with numbers. I mean, there's an equal number on each side. It's not skewed by people going into like 8,000 experiences. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, I guess if you were wanted to be negative, you could say that maybe it's, it's because people try quickly and then leave. Um, But I don't know. There's a lot of shadow variables, right? There's a lot of shadow variables, right? Like it could be just, the nature of the kind of people who use Roblox, right? Maybe trend a bit younger. And so they're a little, you know, they, they things keep their attention for less time. They're, it's a generation more used to like snackable content. And and so they, they're on to the next thing. But fundamentally, what I think I come away with is this is a platform that at the very least is succeeding from a discovery standpoint. And I think we massively underestimate how important that is in terms of eventually which platforms win kind of the metaverse race or game, right? Fundamentally, if we can't surface this to the users, and and there are platforms, I think, that struggle with this a lot. Like, I think Roblox, you know, I'm not a huge user of either platform, but I think Roblox does do discovery way better than Fortnite does, for example, right? Fortnite, unless you're a real power user, you know, finding some of the experiences that use other users have created is not that simple. And, mm-hmm. and so I think discovery is why, is why TikTok has caught on so quickly, right? Like discovery, I think, is at the core of the success here. And, and to your point, I think becomes a core part of what uh, any platform will need to be successful in this metaverse game. It's not just variety. It's the ability for users to discover that variety and find something that appeals to them communities that appeal to them, experiences, places, whatever that appeal to them. 100% agree. I, I just, I, I don't know if there was anything else in that article that stood out for you. They so talk about the there top, was one thing. Yeah. Yeah. There was something else I wanted to, to go. I mean, there, there's some good data here, right? Yeah. They talk about the top genres, role-playing action, you know, some of the, the, the genres that are, that are most popular. Uh, they, are there any differences? For, yeah, let me say, are there any differences versus um, you know what you would typically see in PC console, or are they fairly similar genres? That's one thing I'm interested in. I mean, it's fairly I think similar. What, what, fairly similar. I think what's interesting is where the surge happened, right, in the last year, because I think that is mirrored in the in the gaming kind of sphere in general, right? Anime, horror. You know, you had Phasmophobia, you had uh, Resident Evil, you had like. These things, I think, what it shows to me is metaverse and gaming are continued to be intimately linked, right? Like what's popular in one culture is going to be popular in the other. Gaming is at the heart of what the metaverse is. And so the fact that you saw the surge in places that are huge growth areas for gaming in general, like anime and horror, to me, that's not surprising. Um, You know, they they had, it's just some of the numbers that are, are staggering for me. Like it says, Prominent new examples created in 2021, this is experiences, in the simulator genre include Pet Simulator X and Strongman Simulator, which respectively racked up over over 2 billion and 470 million visits. Which crazy. It is, um, right? Even with 50 million daily active users, 2 billion visits is a lot. It's it's a lot. Um, and, And, you know, the most visited experiences, um, I, I haven't I haven't used any of these, so I can't talk to them. But you know, maybe our listeners will find this interesting. Brookhaven was at the top, then Tower of Hell, Adopt Me, Meep City, 
Royale High, Bed Wars, Blocks, Fruits, Piggy, Murder Mystery 2, and All-Star Tower I'd, Defense. I'd be curious to see an analysis in that around, like, I know one of the things with mobile free-to-play, you know, for the last number of years has been that the top games really stay the top games for long periods of time. Like, it's incredibly hard to get a new top 10 game. It happens, like, once every two or three years on mobile. Um, it would be interesting to see if that's the same thing with Roblox. Like I, I know Adopt Me, I, I noticed you know that I know has been around for a long time, but I wonder if we're seeing more um, you know changes in the top ten because the platform's so nascent. Um, you know, I also know Roblox doesn't have. I don't believe they have a ton of advertising. Like you can't advertise your way up to the top of the store at this point. So you know, it, it is interesting to see what will happen in terms of there's a lot of developers and public professional publishers now on the platform, how they start to game that system and kind of get their, get their games to the top 10 of the charts will be actually a pretty interesting thing to watch over the next couple of years. I think it's also interesting, Jeff, the, the demographic data here, right? Like it says Brookhaven, which was the number one uh, for users, 17 and older Brookhaven was still number one. Um, and and uh, like the, the, a lot of the growth was happening. It says the fastest growing demographic for Roblox is 17 to 24 year olds, which like that alone to me, we could, en- we could end the segment here and say Roblox is winning, right? Because this is a yeah. platform that everyone thought this is for 10 to 13 year olds, right? They're never going to be able to age up. They're never going to be able to keep customers past like 15 or whatever the number was. And and here we're seeing growth in a demographic that I think very few people would ascribe to Roblox, and that's the 17 to 24. Yeah. This next one actually was pretty... This was something I, I, I sort of wanted to, to talk about, and it's one in five daily active users up, were updating their avatar on any given day. Um, I think that's, that's pretty interesting as we start thinking about um, fashion and personalization and avatars within the metaverse. Um, now that doesn't necessarily mean that every day, you know, 20% of like 20% of people are changing their avatar every day. You know what I'm saying? Um, but it does mean that every day, a significant portion of people are. Um, and to me, that means that people are caring about fashion and sort of interacting with their avatar the way that we do in real life with our person. Like I don't wear this, although I do wear this black hat pretty much every time we (laughs) stream now. I don't wear the same shirt. I don't wear the same pants, obviously. Um, so the fact that people are doing that is pretty bullish. One, that they're treating their digital self the same way in caring about their appearance in their digital self as they would in their physical self. I think that's a key sort of component to the eventual metaverse. And it's super bullish for a lot of these metaverse fashion plays that I think are pretty cool. Also, you can bring in NFTs. There's a whole rabbit hole. We can go down with that. Um, but I think it's just a cool little stat that I, that I actually thought was probably the, one of the more interesting pieces of this, of this article. You know, I, I feel know like you... if we were building a framework, right, to try and predict the success of would-be or potential metaverses, I feel like this would be one of the components of that framework, right? Because it's like, does the user care about their digital avatar? Do they care about their representation in the metaverse? And I think this would, it's one of the stats I think I would track and and look at it as a predictor of success in terms of a metaverse platform. Um, 100%. It also makes I'm your sure. users more sticky. I imagine if you buy 20 outfits, 
you're going to stick around a hell of a lot longer than if you only have one, uh, just because you've already you know spent and you have that personalization. Um, I'll just mention a couple of other stats here, uh, just that I thought were interesting. In 2021, the number of new female creators using Roblox Studio for the first time grew 353% year over year. And so seeing, you know, equal growth to to the male creators, which I think is very interesting. Um, you know, it, it's a platform that's clearly very accessible to all, which uh, is, you know, key to its success. And then they, they, they mentioned, you know, the countries with the most engagement time, obviously the U.S. Uh, top of the top of the pile. But Brazil, UK, Philippines, I don't know if you, you would have predicted sort of two, three, and four in that order, but I thought they were interesting. I would not have. I mean, Brazil is a pretty large gaming country. I know, you know, Free Fire and, and Garena has done really well there. Uh, the UK sort of makes sense, but the others, you know, Philippines. Philippines is, seems like it's a metaverse type uh, country. I mean, that's the biggest, all the Axie players are from the Philippines, right? That's it's, true. They're, get, they're deep true. into gaming there. It's you wouldn't have guessed it. I wouldn't have guessed it at least. Look, I think I think the the the, the conclusion. I just want to I want to move on here, but Roblox um, continues to impress. And maybe you know, I know I know we had that side bit, bit about the growth of Roblox's DAUs compared to you know Twitter, for example. Uh, but I I still, despite I think um, not growing as fast as I maybe have predicted or had predicted. There's there are other forces uh, at work there that I think are putting Roblox in a league of their own at the moment. So Agreed. interesting data, and also interesting that they published all this data. Right, but fundamentally they don't have to be that transparent, and I think that's interesting that they are. Um, so it's a total side question, but do you think this is gloating? This is like what what is this for them? Is this them taking a victory lap? I, I think What's it's the just business PR. reason. I mean, they do. They, they interestingly enough do publish monthly like active like month they publish daily active users monthly which is incredibly rare and honestly i don't really understand why they do because it just creates a lot of volatility every month it's like oh it was really good it's up or oh it was really bad it's down uh when you have these hedge funds trading the stock around so i don't know why they do that uh it's great for transparency but doesn't seem necessary from a public from like an investor relations perspective in terms of this i think that their CEO or founder had done a talk at GameSpeed Summit. And I think, you know, they, someone in PR probably just wanted to put together like a nice little fluff presentation. And it's great. They're getting us to talk about it. So they're, you know, it's good for them. True. Um, you know, you know who else is going to get us to talk about them, which I never thought we would. Um, <laughs> this one, maybe I'm not so bullish on, but it's good old blockbuster in the metaverse news. And, <laughs> and the headline here is, Blockbuster could be launching NFTs and a cryptocurrency soon. What investors should know? It says a comeback for video game rental company Blockbuster could come soon via the crypto market. Um, they filed for trademarks around downloadable software for NFTs, online marketplace for NFTs, virtual currency for members, online gaming services in the nature of metaverse, and use of non-downloadable web-based decentralized applications. So Blockbuster, which is now owned by Dish Network, I actually that, I also that. did not know. That was probably the most yeah. interesting yeah. thing in this whole <laughs> article. Um, and, and so it, it seems they want to get into the metaverse slash NFT business, uh, maybe both. And, and I'm curious if you're, because 
this is a brand that Dish owns. I, I, as far as I know, I don't think there's Blockbuster has any business beyond just the brand name, right? Um, yeah. Why wouldn't Dish do this themselves? First question. Second of all, does lending the Blockbuster name to any of this like make this more interesting? <laughs> so this is really telling about where we are as sort of a society in 2022, where I, I kind of think, crazily enough, like I am much more bullish if Dish actually goes through with this under the Blockbuster trademark name than under the Dish name. Because there's this weird thing in society right now where like memes are cool and things that are like, we started this whole podcast off talking about should McDonald's accept dog money where the founder (laughs) of this dog money literally created it eight years ago and was like, as a joke, created dog (laughs) money. And now all of a sudden the richest human being on the planet is tweeting at one of the largest food companies on the planet to get them to accept this fake money. So like we have long since crossed the Rubicon. So to me, like if you're dish and you want to do something in metaverse, it actually isn't that crazy to use the blockbuster name because people, there was a bunch there. I think there was a Hulu show and a Netflix show recently about kind of like the last blockbuster standing. There's been a lot of like nostalgia about old brands. I mean, look just last year, like the, the, the quote-unquote demise of GameStop led to a bunch of apes going and bidding up GameStop. And I know it's not exactly analogous, but like there is something right now in our culture where you know the zeitgeist is is very nostalgic and like these things from people's youth, like people associate with that. So like, do I think it's gonna work and anything will come of it? Honestly, probably not. But like I if you're creating a new brand, you could do worse than a brand that everybody on earth or not everybody or everybody in the u.s knows and has immediate name recognition it's kind of like oh ah, that's like a meme if, if dish just created nfts we would not be talking about it so from that perspective it's kind of savvy do you think i mean it's not clear to me what what assets resources blockbuster has right like other than just making nfts that people will buy for nostalgic reasons do you think there's the ability here or any chance that they move the metaverse conversation forward, right? Like one of the trademark applications, I guess they're, they're filing trademarks for the blockbuster name as it relates to, for example, it says online gaming services in the nature of metaverse, right? Is there a world you think where Dish says, hey, we're going to put millions of dollars to go build some kind of blockbuster metaverse and, and really put put money and time and resources behind this? Or is this just pure PR fluff? Like, let's get a headline. You know, maybe we sell a few million dollars worth of NFTs to nostalgic people, and then you'll never hear about Blockbuster again. To be fair, they could probably float a a digital token and raise like $5 billion. So there there is that. I mean, it's ridiculous, (laughs) but I, I actually think that would happen. The one that jumps out to me is interesting. It's actually one we talked about last last week or two weeks ago vis-a-vis GameStop. That's the online marketplace for NFTs. I have no idea if Dish has the technical capability to build that out. I imagine they would probably buy something um, and then maybe rebrand it Blockbuster. And like when you're talking about an NFT marketplace landscape where there's a ton of players going after this and none of them are really dominant yet, maybe OpenSea, but I guarantee you if I ask my mom or most people on the street, they've never heard of OpenSea, but they've heard of Blockbuster. So it is possible if you're going after 
a large network effect driven two-sided marketplace type business, you want to have a great brand name attached or at least a well-known brand name attached to you. And there's some shock value where I guarantee you if it said, hey, Blockbuster's coming back and it's a marketplace for NFTs, every website on the internet is going to cover it. Whereas if it came out, well, Dish Network's creating an online marketplace for NFTs, everyone's going to be like, cool, there's 30 other companies doing the same thing. And you know, we don't really like Dish. It's a shitty TV you know, cable company. Right. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe am I crazy or does this make no, is what I'm saying make I, a little bit of sense? <laughs> I don't think we'll ever see Blockbuster come back in a brick and mortar retail way. Although I think it'd be cool to have brick and mortar Blockbusters that sell NFTs in the real world. Right. That might be interesting. Like, uh, you know, true digital art galleries, I guess, in the form of, of Blockbuster stores. But I could see bringing that retail experience to the metaverse. Like, I could see that. If Blockbuster is the place to go buy NFTs in the metaverse, the metaverse, right? Capital T, capital M. And they have a retail presence there for NFTs. The question is, you know, what does Blockbuster bring to the table that no one else can or that all the other, you know, dozens of marketplaces all do? Other than the nostalgia factor, I, I don't know if they really bring anything unique to the table. I have a funny feeling this was, you know, a little bit PR fluff piece to test the waters and see if there's sort of an easy score for them here. Uh, But it'll be interesting. It's an interesting one to watch because I think you're right. There's an attachment, a a weird attachment to this brand. And I think a lot of the buyers are in this age group where Blockbuster is a brand that is meaningful to them, right? It's not, it's not unknown. And so, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they actually follow through with this. Um. I want to I want to get to this story, uh, Jeff, because it's something we haven't talked about much on the show. Um, and this is from the Wall Street Journal. And the headline here is, come the metaverse, can privacy exist? And they make an interesting argument here. It's in the subheadline. Let me just read it. It says, in immersive worlds, new technologies will siphon up data at an increasingly granular level. A person's gait, eye movements, emotions, and more putting far greater strain on existing safeguards. So, you know, in the Web2 world, there's been this, call it ongoing battle, right? Between the people who want the data to sell and and the people like us who provide the data, essentially, sometimes inadvertently, um, and who desire some form of privacy. And, you know, I have feelings in terms of, how that battle is going, which we, uh, you know, we'll, we'll touch on in a second. The question is, for you, in, in, this, in this metaverse, right? In the metaverse we talk about, regardless of the platform or the form it takes, if you buy this subheadline that there's just a massive amount of additional data that you get by creating digital versions of ourselves, right? And living and working in this place and playing in this place, is it a privacy battle that is lost essentially from day one? Or do we think we'll see an entire sub-industry you know, pop up to try and stop this before it's unavoidable? I think it's unavoidable. I think it's you're kind of the the nature of how it the plot you interact with the platform. So like what the article says, I mean, it, it is almost impossible for data not to be collected. Now, the one thing I would say is I think these, the, the tie between the, the data that they're getting on the avatar and the actual person sitting behind the avatar, may that tie may be severed, right? So I may be sitting here 
and my avatar might be doing something on the screen and going into the virtual blockbuster and buying whatever NFT is, you know, in the metaverse. So they'll have that data and they'll be selling me stuff. They, however, may not know that behind that avatar is, you know, Jeff Cohen, the 31 year old with the one year old son living in, you know, in Manhattan. Like they, they may not get that, that layer. That, does that make sense? It does. I mean, there's an interesting example here, which I thought was somewhat frightening. And I, I'm not trying to be alarmist at all. I just do think there's an interesting sort of data conversation to have and a privacy conversation to have. It says here, all the, at any given time, the way you move, the way your gait is, the way you're gazing, your pupil dilation is giving away information to developers, right? The assumption is you're wearing a headset, they have cameras, they have you know lenses, the whole bit. All these tidbits could give companies greater ability to deduce users' traits, defying current notions of privacy and security, and straining corporate policies to protect them. It says, for instance, an insurance company might obtain information that suggests a user has a health problem before the po- person noticed any physical changes or saw a doctor, right? Like it, it could be looking at your eye movement and then realize, oh, he's, you know, eye, his eyes are moving a little slower than usual. He's had a stroke or something, right? And yeah, maybe I, I'm, I'm exaggerating. Feels, I mean, that's point, the example right? they're using. Uh, it fe- that feels to me like a little bit of a bridge too far, but. Do you think I mean, this is too, too dystopian? We'll never get there? I think that it is too. Yes, I, I think that example goes probably a bit further than than I'm willing to accept. the The more the privacy issue that I am much more concerned about as it comes to the early stages of the metaverse is how do you when you're you know we see the toxicity that exists online when people are able to hide behind anonymity. How much worse does it get when you're in a virtual digital space? You know, and you could be hiding behind an avatar and and sort of doing nefarious things with, you know, people that are underage. How do you prevent, you know, adults from communicating with children like that kind of stuff that I think Roblox is currently starting to deal with? I'm much more concerned about that from a privacy perspective than, you know, 30 years from now, like the insurance company knows I have cancer prior before I know. Like, I I don't see that as a, a very realistic near term concern. It's interesting because you're almost saying like you're concerned about too much privacy, right? That the metaverse allows yes, for yeah. too much privacy. <laughs> and and so, you know, I do think from a, a pure business standpoint, though, it's an overlooked opportunity because of the vast privacy and security implications that a digital world presents, right? And I don't think, I, I haven't seen companies sort of pop up addressing this directly um, like I haven't seen a lot there yet. And I have a funny feeling this is one of those areas that sort of goes overlooked and that there's discussion around it, but you don't see a lot of business around it initially. And I think people will have their eyes open, like something will happen, right? There's always, there's always some, some event that is the, you know, the, the, the thing that, uh, that is the impetus for, for people to actually do something about it. And I have a funny feeling we'll see Quite a few companies. Well, it makes all the sense in the, the world space. if we if we take the premise that the metaverse is the eventual successor to the current you know internet in, in some form or fashion. I mean, cybersecurity is a probably you know hundred billion dollar industry, if not if not bigger. So it makes sense that some form of metaverse cybersecurity would also exist. We're almost too early to know the problems that they're going to have to solve. So it's like the bad guys have to come and infiltrate first, and then you have. 
the companies that start up to, to sort of stop that bad behavior. Um, Jeff, I want to finish on this last story, and it, it, it's a quick one. It's the headline here is from TechCrunch, and it says Breeder DAO or Breeder DAO just raised funding from A16Z and others to generate NFTs at scale. A16Z is uh, Andreessen Horowitz, by the way. And it says, um, while certain titans of tech argue over how different or not decentralized web outfits will be compared to their unabashedly centralized predecessors, an ecosystem of companies is fast emerging with ties to each other, including backing from the same investors. And what they mention is Andreessen investing in Yield Guild Games, which I think we touched on on the Business of Esports podcast, right? Where they invest in NFTs from blockchain-based games, then they loan them out to people who use them and generate revenue and essentially pay back those loans, um, which I think we concluded felt a little bit like indentured servitude. Um, we did. We did. <laughs> a, a little dystopian. Um, but they mentioned in this article Axie Infinity, right? And one of the problems Axie Infinity is facing is um, there's huge demand for axes which is their currency right and not enough supply and breeder dow which closed on you know this 10 million in funding uh which was led by andreessen horowitz who also is an investor in sky mavis which makes axie infinity to me and i'm putting this in my own words is like a contract manufacturer for nfts like axie infinity can't make enough of them or fast enough don't want to be bothered to make enough of them or fast enough. And so they've outsourced the creation of axes to breeder Dow. And I, I, my question to you is, you know, one of the things they mentioned in this article is that one of the, 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 the backing of Andreessen's thesis on this, they've said is demand for NFTs, according to them, is beginning to outstrip supply. That we can't, that companies can't keep up with the demand. Do you think there's these are transient opportunities, or do you think this is a long term, like in the same way we have contract manufacturing in the garment industry, right? That we will have contract manufacturing for NFTs also. So, and this is something that is just part of the ecosystem forever. I have some, I have some thoughts here. I mean, I, it's, it's funny if this wasn't. Andreessen Horowitz, I feel like I would have a much <laughs> yeah, hotter yeah, take because I, I almost true. feel like I'm missing something because I'm like, this, yeah. this is the smartest VC around and they're investing. So I probably should be positive. But to me, this says two things. To One, this is an issue we've talked about for a bunch of different episodes. There is a big shortage currently right now of developers for Web3. So to me, yep. it seems like Axie, Infinity, Sky Mavis can't hire enough good people and this other company is effectively hiring good people and is going to contract, manufacture, or outsource, develop for Sky Mavis. That's what it seems like to me. And maybe in the short term, that is a, a big opportunity because there just isn't enough skilled people who know how to create these smart contracts and build these NFTs and kind of have that skill set. But it's just odd to me because this is something we've seen in the gaming industry. I mean, like plenty of Almost every publisher, AAA publisher, uses outsourced QA. A lot of them use um, studios like Keyword Studios. Uh, I know it's a public company over in Europe, where basically, you know, if there's different art design or kind of like laborious tasks that you don't want your dev team to do, 
you can outsource it to these contract, um, you know, outsource development studios. Um, like I remember when I covered Glue as an analyst, they would do a lot of their work in like the Philippines and stuff like that. They would just have outsourced, you know, art design, stuff like that. But I don't get the sense that those companies were worth a heck of a lot. It's almost like a business outsource company. Like, yeah. uh, you know, you're outsourcing your, your cu- customer service to a call center in India. Like, you don't think of that as highly skilled labor. Uh, so it, it's a bit of a head scratcher to me where, you know, I, I'm not sure how much value this company will have in, in sort of the medium to longer term. Right now, I mean, it's probably a good idea because there's a hole in the labor market and, and good on these early developers because I'm sure they're, they're making a ton, a ton of money. Um, but I just don't necessarily see this as a strategic longer term. And to me, also the, the comment that demand for NFTs is outstripping supply. I mean, that, that terrifies me to some extent because these are digital items and you can make NFTs pretty <laughs> darn quick. So like my guess is demand is, you know, supply will outstrip demand, like probably by the time this episode airs, you know, I don't know about that. Look, I'm with you on like the Andreessen thing. It's like, there's, they're usually the smartest investors in the room. So like, what are we missing? And then, and then I put my tinfoil hat on and I'm like, maybe this is them just being really clever, right? Like Axie Infinity is there. They're probably like a, a $50 billion exit at some point, right? If it keeps on the trajectory it's on. And so like, what's, Five million or whatever the, of the ten million dollar round that they put in, right? Like, what's five million to a fund like Andreessen size to make sure that they have a supplier essentially pay all the attention to them, right? And yeah. and potentially get acquired by Axie Infinity at some point down the road, anyway. So that it's like double returns, right? They're 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 juicing they win, their yeah, own returns, win, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so you know, my tinfoil hat says this is probably pretty genius on their part. Uh, because to your point, they probably, it's a, it's a clever way of acquiring a bunch of developers and a bunch of time and attention from a company, you know, for your bigger play that is, you know, the, probably the multi multi-billion dollar exit for you. Um, but that's really all I could think of in terms of, you know, cause I, I, I'm not sure I believe that long-term this is an issue, right? I guess I, I believe in the short term, there's maybe this crunch not enough people, not enough time, so much growth, so many other priorities. But it's the sort of thing that technology feels like it can solve. And long term, this outsourcing may not be, probably won't be necessary. That is what it feels like. Um, so, you know, that, that's one where I think this is just Andreessen being uh, exceptionally clever and, uh, you know, making sure that their, their big investment is really protected here. Jeff, that's all we had for this week. I can't believe that. Like, episode, by. We packed in a lot there. We packed in a lot. Um, for our listeners, guys, really appreciate any feedback. If you're loving the show, if you love the juice, uh, let us know. If you Follow me on Twitter, uh, at Jeff Cohen 23 Juice is coming in <laughs> hot on Twitter these days. The, the juice is coming in hot on Twitter, at Jeff Cohen 23 There you go. And make sure, guys, to subscribe to the podcast um you know hit the follow button subscribe button whatever podcast platform you get this on if it's on youtube subscribe to metaverse tv on youtube and uh you know hope you guys are enjoying the show we're loving doing it always open to feedback and as always we'll see you guys next week 
Thanks for joining us here on Meta Business. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends, family, and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best Metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Business.